thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 19, as today is traditionally known as Palm Sunday. It's the day that's been set aside where we as a church, along with the broader body of Christ, celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And what a great day it was. Most often, the entry into Jerusalem is seen as a great day of celebration. And indeed it was. It was a day of celebration, but so much more was going on on the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Besides them laying the palm branches down at his feet, we gain insight on the misunderstanding of Jesus, the false expectations put upon Jesus. Uh, We learn about what makes Jesus sorrowful. And we also learn a few things of what makes Jesus angry. Now consider this. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? Other people? Do other people make you angry? Politics? Does that get you a little upset? Hmm. How about this one? Taxes make you upset. How about this one? Other people's driving get you a little upset? Come on now. Let's think about this just for a second. Think about driving. Have you ever considered that you're actually the one that makes other people angry with your driving? Yeah, but it's true, isn't it? There are always those things that take us over the edge. That our society seems to be more angrier than ever and more divided. Just recently, CNN ran an article entitled, Can Breaking Stuff Relieve Stress? Can Breaking Stuff Relieve Stress? Here's part of the article. Anger rooms, as they're called, have become all the rage for the high-strung person who needs a safe place to blow off some steam. When counting to 10, taking deep breaths, or the sage advice to take a chill pill doesn't manage to suppress your wrath, a controlled environment to get the aggression out of your system might just do the trick for 20 to $90 an hour. Which makes me think if people are into that, we need to find a strip mall and open one of these babies. 20 to 90 bucks an hour where you can go in and scream and yell and break stuff. That's what they're doing. Now, those of you that know, CNN is based in Atlanta, Georgia. And in Atlanta, they recently experienced great pain after a football game concluded. And this is what they said. One such company, The Break Room, near Atlanta, Georgia, was in high demand for infuriated Falcons fans following Super Bowl 51. They came in with pictures of Tom Brady's face and Patriot logos, and a lot of people came in who were angry about that game. (laughs) Man, we need to open one of those for you Bronco fans, don't we? Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. If you're a Bronco here today, I love you. In Jesus' name, I love you. Now, surprisingly, anger is not always that bad. Anger can be a good thing, even for a follower of Christ. Now, of course, those of you that lean toward anger, don't get too happy about that because God doesn't approve of sinful anger. Consider this, jot them down. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. 
Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to anger, but a wise person quietly holds it back. Ephesians chapter 4, writing to the church in the city of Ephesus, verse 25. Put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. And don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Now that passage might be more familiar to you in the New King James where it says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, as we give our attention to the glorious entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem today, we need to broaden our perspective just a little bit. Yes, it begins with great celebration as the people are anticipating the coming of Messiah. And yet mixed in are misplaced expectations. Mixed in is the great pain and sorrow of Jesus as he overlooks a city that's rejected him. Mixed in is, and how this section of scripture ends, is with great anger as Jesus enters into the temple and once again cleanses it from its profitable business, taking advantage of people's faith. So pick up with me now in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 28. And I'm in John. That's why it doesn't look good. We're usually in John, isn't aren't we? Now let me get to the right book with you. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he came near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where you will enter and find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose him and bring him here, verse 31. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing him? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of him. So those who were sent departed, found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own garments on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, they spread clothes on the road. While this was a day of celebration, a time of sorrow and anger for the Lord, misplaced expectations we see Jesus giving in specific instructions to two of his disciples to go into in a village the opposite direction of Jerusalem and find a donkey, a colt, unloose it and take it. And if anybody asks, tell them that the Lord has need of it. Now I find this interesting because we find Jesus orchestrating everything in full control, allowing things with a specific purpose in mind. The original language here and the other gospel writers, they infer that Jesus had set this up ahead of time, that there was a specific donkey and a specific person that was already told if they ask you anything, just the person that's taking them, just tell them the Lord has need. And so it's, it's an encouragement to us that God goes before us in setting things up in our lives, that, that he hasn't abandoned you, that, that he hasn't turned his back on you. I believe the, the word of the Lord couldn't be stronger for you today to understand that God has not abandoned you in your situation or in your life, even though you may feel like that at times. That God is much greater than your feelings, and the truth trumps our feelings every time. The disciples had learned something, and don't we need to learn something ourselves? They learned something by this time. And that was they learned not to question Jesus when, they, when he told them to do something. 
even something really weird. Go into a city, find the first donkey, and steal him, basically. Which really, he wasn't telling them to steal because he set it up. But that's how you would feel. You would feel like, well, wait a minute. Oh, what am I going to take a donkey? I mean, what? And Jesus had already set it up. There's no thievery involved whatsoever. It was all completely set up for him. And so often we are walking into things that God has set up for us. That he's gone before us. That, that he is, before the Bible says, before us and behind us. And we can trust him. That he hasn't abdicated his throne. That he's not throwing with what's going on in your life and what's going on in our core. He hasn't thrown his arms like, oh no, what's happened to the world? But rather, God has a plan and purpose for this world. And he has a plan and purpose for you. And the disciples have learned over, over time of serving with him. You, you can think of how many times Jesus asked them to do something that didn't make much sense. I think of the time where they were feeding the thousands. And there were thousands, and they're kind of measuring, we don't have enough, they'll never be able to do this. He's just, just bring me what you have. I'll feed the thousands. Just bring me what you have. And when they did bring him just that few fish and the little bit of loaves from the kid, everybody ate to the fill, and they learned to do what Jesus says. I think of that time with Peter as the accusation was coming that they were subverting Rome and not paying taxes and stuff. I remember that time with Peter that, that Jesus said, hey, go ahead, go out. The first fish you have is going to have your taxes in its mouth. Can you imagine that God would just say, go down to the reservoir, take a, take a stick and some string, throw it into the reservoir. You got problems paying your taxes this year? Don't worry about it. The taxes are in the first fish you catch wrapped in plastic. You're good. And you're like, come on, man, I'd never do that. But you've got to learn to do what God's called you to do. That's what the disciples, they've learned to, call, to do what he told them to do. Wouldn't it be so easy? Wouldn't it be so easy to have our taxes paid with the money that's in a fish's mouth? That would be awesome. But it's just not the way it is. It was a unique situation. I think of Peter as well. When Jesus was walking to them on the water, what did Jesus tell Peter? You come to me. Come and walk on the water to me. Because you got to learn that your logic isn't always God's logic. That as you try to explain something away or you develop an excuse, the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we would do well to learn. I mean, I was thinking about this. It would be just so interesting. Like we're having a gathering with the pastors and I all of a sudden say, you know what? I sent a couple guys, go down to Parker to the Chipotle. There's a Maserati there. Go inside, get the keys from the guy, take that car. And if he asks anything, just tell him Ed wants it and then come back. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's like, what? What? But they had learned as we need to learn how to follow the Lord by faith. We'd love Jesus to spell it all out for us, wouldn't we? We'd love Jesus to tell us exactly how our day's going to go. Because we think if we know exactly how our day's going to go, then we'll be better prepared for the day. But you know that's not the case. You know that if God told you what your day would be and included any pain at two o'clock, you're skipping out on two o'clock. You're like, I'll take one o'clock and I'll take three o'clock, but not that. And you would and I would so naturally in our flesh resist and rebel against the will of God. So what does he do instead? He says, Ed, and he says, church, and he says, those that love me, follow me, trust me, obey me. Follow me by faith, trust me, and obey me, and I will tell you, like we're on a need-to-know basis, and God tells us what we need to know when we need to know it, and not sooner and not later, to learn how to trust him and obey. And and here's something you can jot down, and and this could be a, a life principle in your life. A life principle in mind. Simply this. 
obey God as quickly as you can, as thoroughly as you can. Obey the word of God as quickly as you can and as thoroughly as you can. And if he tells you to go into another city and unloose a donkey and bring it back and tell the guy it's for him, then you do that. This was fulfilling prophecy. God is orchestrating prophetic words to be fulfilled. That what was predicted in the Old Testament will be fulfilled in the New Testament. And this is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Jot it down. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. God is fulfilling his word. Notice in verse 37, then as they were drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. (laughs) I love that, man. That is so cool. There's an excitement there. We know in another uh, gospel they're singing like we did, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. And that's exactly what they were expecting The Roman historian Josephus tells us that Jerusalem was filled with about two and a half million people right now ready to celebrate the Passover meal. Now two and a half million people crammed into Jerusalem is no small feat. I mean, if you just think of the main metro area around Denver, you know, kind of circling with uh, 470 and such, it's about two and a half, three million people in that that large area, but to be crammed into Jerusalem, there's a lot of people, a lot of excitement. And they're there to worship and offer their lambs as a sacrifice, knowing that their sins would be covered for yet another year. And all the while, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world is riding in to fulfill his hour. Over and over again with Jesus, you find him saying, my hour hasn't come, my hour hasn't come. And he wasn't referring to a literal 60 minutes of time. He was speaking to an event, to to an event that includes his betrayal, that includes his arrest, that includes his scourging, his beating, that includes his crucifixion, that includes his burial, that includes his resurrection, his coming back to life, and it also includes his ascension into heaven. The hour of redemption, the time of sins being forgiven, fulfilled right before their eyes in Zechariah chapter 9. But it's not just fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 is saying how the Messiah will come into the city of Jerusalem. But there's also a when, a precise date and time that God said Messiah would come into Jerusalem. Notice verse 41. As he draws near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. As Jesus comes in, he says, if you would have just known this day, if you would have just known this day, or in verse 44 at the end, the time of your visitation. So the Bible predicts not only how Messiah would come, but also when. 
We don't have time to develop this, but for those of you that want homework, you can go to Daniel chapter 9, and you can go to our website, because I, stu- I taught on this in depth, Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 9, there is a time period of the coming of the Savior into Jerusalem. Daniel was in Babylonian captivity seeking God through his prayer life. He was seeking God's will and God's protection for the nation. And one day as he was praying, God gave him insight of the coming of Messiah. And he said, he was told, going forth from the command to rebuild the temple, that there would be 483 years until Messiah would come. We can date that command from Artaxerxes on March 14, 445 BC. Using the lunar calendar of 360 days times 483, that equals 173,880 days. As you count the days from March 14, 445 to the day recorded by the Gospels of this day of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, you'd come to April 3rd, 32 AD to the day. And Jesus is weeping over the city because they don't know the day. Paul warned young Timothy to be careful in the last days. The last days are going to have a lot of false, fake things where, especially in the church, where people are going to put on a face and pretend to be Christians and sound like Christians, but they're going to deny the power thereof. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. Another way of saying that, there's going to be people that pretend to be Christians, but have no relationship whatsoever with God. And we have the religious rulers telling the disciples, be quiet, telling Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? Even if they chose to be silent, the rocks would be so happy to see this day. They would cry out in praise. And how easy it is for us to know the Bible, but not know the author of the Bible. You think, oh, you know, those poor religious rulers, you know, they have a form of godliness. That would never happen to me. But we must be warned. We that love the Bible, we that love to study it, We that love to get deeper into theology, we may have a relationship with theology and never have a relationship with the God of the theology. The Bible says theology, the word means the study of God. But I've met people that are more interested in theology than they are in the God who has given to them theology, relationally, that that aren't really living out in sharing the gospel with agape love. They have the form, they have the appearance, they sound right, they look right, but they deny the power of God within their lives. That's what's happening here on Palm Sunday, a whole city. And while there's a group of unbelievers, there's a group of people that are so excited back in verse 38, praising God, it says, rejoicing and praising God in verse 37 with a loud voice. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. People are praising. People are singing. People are overjoyed. You know, I can't imagine a songless Christian. Can you? A Christian that isn't singing songs unto the Lord, that doesn't have a new song put in our hearts. The Bible speaks of us being delivered and pulled out of the miry clay, our feet put on a solid rock, and what else? A new song in our hearts and on our lips. Singing is a part of worship that has been with us from the very beginning. A singing of songs and praises to God, crying out how blessed he is, And how blessed we are to have a relationship with him. Singing is our natural response to the wonderful love that showered on us. 
Now, I know for many of you, in the context of a church service like this, you're very uncomfortable with singing. You don't want to sing. As a matter of fact, we know there are some of you that literally come late to church on purpose because you don't want to sing. We know who you are because we see you coming in and we cake your face and picture we got a board of all. We're going to get these guys to sing, but it's an awkward thing for you. You, you just, man, it's new for you. You know, you don't want to sing because the music isn't really what you're into. You know, you were into some other kind of music and now church music seems to be different. You know, I don't like that music. And there you are. I don't like that music. I'm not going to sing that song. But you're, it doesn't make sense for you to be a songless Christian. To not cry out. Maybe some of you sing, oh, Ed, I don't sing because my voice, you know, my voice. You don't want to hear my voice. You don't want to. That might be true. I don't want to hear your voice. But God does. You're not singing songs to me. You're singing songs to God. You've got a bad voice. I've got a bad voice. We've got a bad voice. Let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I remember when I was a new believer in those early years. Not, not really, you know, I wasn't into to music like like the church sings it, man. I was into hard rock, metal, crazy stuff. That was my life. That was what I was into. And when I walked into church and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? I need to sing this? This is nothing like I'm used to. And, and I had to really barrel through that and say, no, Lord, these words, these are great. This is, this is something that my life has changed. And it's not about the tempo. And it's not about the musician. Not about the, it's not about any of that. It's about me and you, God. And, and you could say this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to sing. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We need to be in a place where we are worshiping him through song. That's why sometimes you'll be standing next to somebody and their eyes are closed. Their eyes are closed. Why? Because music has a way of taking you from one place and putting you in another place. It has a way, even though you're here, sitting in this room, standing in this room, your eyes are closed and you're like, oh God, you're so good. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed are you, Lord. Because this week has been hard or difficult. And you're surrounded by people who are singing. And I love it when, when the Pastor Ian and the worship, they back off the mic a little bit and the room is filled. Because you know, at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, this, this room is empty and dark and lifeless. But then the church shows up. And the church shows up in the person of you and me and this room comes alive. And in just an hour or two after they're done practicing and later in the, it's going to go dark again. It's just going to be a room until we come back at 6.30 and we're going to worship in a different way. We're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord through fasting and prayer for our city, for our our church, for our kids, for our marriages, for our health. We're going to seek God. And, and song is so important. You, you and I, we need to learn. I know some, on occasion I get complaints about worship. And one of the complaints is, you know, we just keep singing new songs. All we do is singing new songs. I don't want to sing any new songs. I don't know that song. I don't want to sing a new song. And I don't know. It's an email, so I don't know exactly how they're saying it, but I'm making up the voice. I don't like the songs. Listen, if you refuse to sing new songs, you are being unbiblical. Unbiblical. Now, we try to help you with that. And Pastor Ian prays over the music. We put the words way big on the wall here. You can see them now so you can learn the songs. They won't be new to you if you learn it. And so we put the songs up there. And then you can, once you learn the song, you close your eyes and you start singing. And and, but you're unbiblical. You go, Ed, come on, man. You're getting heavy now. I'm unbiblical. If I won't sing new songs, yes. Listen, Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. <laughs> you're laughing, but you're busted, too. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation day to day. Yes, we should be singing new songs. And we should be singing different songs. Because, you know, we're a multi-generational church. You know that, right? No, not everyone in the church is your age. We have, we have babies being born, and we have much older people. I'm not, telling who you, I'm not telling you who the much older people are, but you know who you are. So you got the older people, and you got the younger people, and everyone in between. We're a multi-generational church. Therefore, our worship should be multi-generational. We should have some older hymns that are familiar. We should have some newer songs that were written by kids that were born in, you know, the 90s and the 2000s, that they're just singing the Lord and new songs. Our church is multiracial. Not everyone is your race. So we've got different genres of music, different worship leaders from different backgrounds that have all the different races that are included. This was so cool. This guy last night comes, last night, he emailed me during the week. He lives some far, some way far up north, was listening on the radio. I think I was teaching on the radio about James anointing with oil. And he says, I want to be anointed with oil. And, and so come to my house. And I said, no, 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 no. You come down. We will anoint at oil every service. We pastors are here every service. We've got oil up here. We will anoint for oil. You, the Bible says for you to come and call upon the elders. So come on down. He says, when? And I gave him this. He was here last night. It was so cool. So he comes up and, and he lays his hand on me during the last song. And he says, you know, I'm here and, and you're the guy with the email, right? Yeah. So I'm so glad. So wait till after the song, we'll get the pastors here. And, and as we were there, one of the pastors, Jason, he opens up James and says, you know, I just think tonight we should really follow this literally. And, and in that section, it says that the person that's calling for the elders should pray. And so we asked the brother to pray. And, and as we asked for the brother to pray, he is from Africa somewhere. I don't know. He didn't say exactly where in Africa. But he told us, he said, you know, when I pray, I, was, I, I pray much better in my native tongue. And I said, yes, yes, pray in your native tongue. Like, pray however you think the Lord would hear it. And so he began to pray the most beautiful prayer that I have ever heard. I didn't understand a word that he said. But I understood his heart. It was amazing. And so after, I'm like, what was that language? And I, now I forget what it was. But it was so beautiful and so sweet and so wonderful. And if God wants you to pray in your native tongue, pray in your native tongue. Sing in your native tongue. Just worship the Lord. We're multiracial. We're multigenerational. We're also multicultural with all kind of backgrounds. So our worship and our service and our church will reflect the community that we're in. And we won't look down on anyone, but we will pick everyone up and serve them and love them and lead them. And let me tell you something. You've got to sing because it's for you. It's your expression of worship to God. You're not singing for me. You're not singing for us. You're singing for God. You know, I know sometimes at the end of a song, we'll clap, and you, you might be thinking, well, what are we clapping for? Is the worship team, you know, are, that, are they just performers? No, no, no. Uh-uh. Clapping in, in the United States Western culture, clapping is sort of like an amen. Sort of like an amen. So you're happy that something happened. You're amen. The, the, Pastor Ian and the team here, they're not entertaining you. They're not here to entertain. They're not here to pass time. And, and we're not here to have the coolest this and the best this. Well, no, they're not. They're, they're serving you. They're softening your hearts. You're softening your heart and heart to receive the word of God. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to make sure I met this expectation and I hope you guys leave happy and I hope you guys come back. Listen, I'm here to teach you the Bible. I'm going to teach you the Bible, the good stuff, and I'm going to teach you the hard stuff, but I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to get you in tune with Jesus Christ 
Pastor Ian is here to get you in tune with Jesus Christ. So sing. Would you please just sing? And, and don't send me any complaint emails. Don't do that this week. Because I'm not accepting them anymore. We have a brand new person on staff, Jason K at calvaryaurora.org. He gets all the complaints now. songless Christians. doesn't make sense. You know, maybe you do this, this kind of style of music's not your deal. You know, maybe you're into country music or something. I'm sure if you look hard and fast somewhere on this planet, there's somebody singing worship to Jesus with a twang like this that you can find to fulfill your heart's desire. I mean, if you like country music, listen, I don't judge you. I just don't understand you. (laughs) All right, comes back to the text. Come on. So check this out. Uh, In verse 43, he says, For the days will come uh, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon another. Um, because you didn't know the time. I mean, Jesus is, if you look at the literal language here, what the Bible is saying in verse 41 uh, is, it's very vivid. It literally means that Jesus burst into tears and began to weep audibly out loud. The city that was supposed to receive their Messiah would soon be utterly destroyed, and that without faith in their Messiah. And I pray that this heart is in us as we think of multicultural, we think of multi-generational, we think of multiracial. You know, the Bible says that heaven is going to be filled with every tongue, tribe, and nation. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. And I pray, I've been praying for this. This has been a prayer for mine literally since we moved here from California. And that's simply this, that we would both have the praise of the Lord in our hearts and the joy of God in our salvation and the broken heart over the loss. We'd have them both that we would be broken over our city, that we would be broken over what's happening with our kids. One thing I'm noticing uh, the more I serve is that the things we're dealing with are happening at a younger and younger age. I mean, 10, 11, 12-year-olds and stuff they shouldn't be in, stuff they shouldn't be exposed to, but the world is just getting darker and darker. I pray your heart would break for that. I pray your heart would break for your neighbor that's into this stuff and keeping you up all night with partying when they're just lost as lost can be. And that while you're talking to them and asking them, man, can you take it down a little bit? But that you would do that in the agape love of God. That that you would endure just a little bit for the sake of the lost that's your next door neighbor. But we've made, you know, we've made our walk with Jesus so cultural, so Western. A whole segment of the church has made some of the difficulties of the world political. Just like these guys. It's all political. I don't like this president. I don't like that president. And why aren't they doing this? And why aren't they doing that? Listen, Jesus Christ did not come to institute politics. He came to save souls. That's where it's at. God, God is saving people. But it, you know, so much time is wasted on things that just don't last. They just don't last. You don't like the administration? They'll be gone in a while. And then you won't like them. And then you won't like them. Then you'll die and wonder where are all the people that you led to the Lord. And I don't want to die that way, do you? I don't want to die that way. I want a broken heart for the lost. And I want to offer them a solution that will last for all of eternity. The blood of Jesus Christ. Getting involved in 
things that pertain to this world is, is between you and the Lord. It's not, that's not, it's not sinful. Of course, we, we want to be good citizens of earth. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just speaking to a select few that have forgotten the call of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that whatever we're in, even if it's politics, is for the purpose of bringing someone to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the bottom line. Jesus is crying here over the lost. Then we finally find out what makes him angry. He went into the temple, verse 45, and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So here Jesus, now at the end of his life, comes into the temple and he clears out the money changers and he clears out the businesses, uh, the businesses that were taking advantage of the people. And those of you who are Bible students, you're like, wait a minute, didn't this happen? Didn't this happen three years earlier? Is this the same one that happened three years earlier? And those are two questions. So number one, did it happen three years earlier? The answer is yes. Yes, it did. In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he cleaned out the temple and all the money changers. There were people there, religious rulers, that were taking advantage of the faith of others, stealing from them, taking their money, using money changes so they could have the right money for the temple. And then they'd bring their sacrifice in and the leader would say, that sacrifice isn't clean enough. But guess what? We have a sacrifice. We have an animal in the back. We'll get you that animal and we'll charge you 100% interest on it. And then you can go and you can worship God. Now, three years later, and I think it was much sooner than that, but now three years later at the end of his ministry on both sides, Jesus establishes that his house should be a house of prayer. And Jesus establishes that his temple will not be a place where people get ripped off. And I'm telling you, it's still happening today. It's still happening today. I still believe Jesus is angry today. Anytime a person seeks to profit off the desire of the people to worship God, you can be sure that Jesus is upset about that. There are so-called religious leaders that, that have well-oiled business machines to take advantage of people. It used to be letters, and now it's emails and tweets and things on television to try to separate you with manipulation and with guilt from your money. Every day there seems to be a new plea and a new technique to turn your worship into a money-making venture for them. Let me say, God does desire us to give of our tithes and offerings. He desires us to be a generous church. He desires us to be a giving church. There should be, on the planet Earth, the most generous, the most giving people should be the followers of Jesus Christ who have received the salvation of their souls and therefore now know that everything that they have belongs to him. We should be the most generous. We should be the most giving. You know, it shouldn't be Bill Gates. It shouldn't be these guys that are billionaires that are known as the philanthropists. It should be believers. You go, well, wait a minute, Ed. You know, Bill Gates can just write a check for a billion dollars and he could be known for that. But look, you know, when Bill Gates writes a check for a million billion dollars, it's like a hundred bucks to him. Like, that's how much money he has. It would be the same as if you wrote a check and said, you know, the Lord just spoke to my heart to support this ministry and support this missionary and you wrote a check for a hundred bucks. That's like to give generously and to give sacrificially to know that, you know, if you, you give a penny into that bucket, you give a penny and you know, you think, what can this penny do? But you can see with a bunch of other pennies, it can do a lot. And when somebody's getting their tooth fixed in the Philippines, you get to share in it. And when somebody's getting a haircut, you get to share in it. 
And when somebody's getting their feet worked on and their, the toenails worked on, they haven't had, you're going to get to benefit from it. When somebody's getting a shirt that they, they need a clean shirt, you're going to get to benefit. When somebody's getting the medical attention or the test that they need, in your giving and generosity, we get, I don't know how it's all going to get sorted out in heaven, but I do know this. There's a lot of stuff we do with our money that's going to get burned up in heaven. It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. Now I have to say this because... God is doing a work in our church in the last year or so, making us more of a house of prayer, more of a house of prayer. We have a long way to go, but we're getting there and we're moving forward with it, dedicating our lives to praying, dedicating more time to prayer, dedicating more meetings to prayer, having more times of prayer and fasting. Every time we gather on Wednesday night, we pray. But I have to say this, and, it, and on the one side, it's a little disappointing for me. On another side, it's encouraging. The disappointing side is when we started praying on Wednesday nights, you know, about when we started praying, when the Lord put that conviction on our, on, our, on our hearts, you know, we probably filled this room three quarters full on a Wednesday night, people seeking the Lord. When we started praying, people that were attending on Wednesday nights, it, it sunk. Like, there aren't people wanting to pray. There, I was starting to hear things like, well, I don't want to pray with strangers, and I don't want to pray out loud. And, and unfortunately, I heard some things I don't want to pray at all. I just want to come from a Bible study. That's the discouraging part. Because, I mean, if we had a potluck and we all brought food, we'd fill the place. But if we just call a prayer meeting for someone that's sick, or we call a prayer meeting for someone that has need, or we call all church prayer for our city, oh, yeah, i got other things to do. I'm a little busy right now. And a prayerless church doesn't make progress in our community. And so we're dedicated to praying. The good news is, is people are praying and people are coming and we are seeking the Lord. And those prayers are multiplied. And it doesn't really matter who's here, although my heart would be the more the merrier. Let's pray and let's pray on behalf of our city. Let's our hearts break. Let's pray for what we heard on the news last night. Let's pray for those guys that are breaking in into houses right now because they're, they're so slick and they're, they're so creative in how they're ripping people off. What could that do if they love Jesus? How creative could they be with the gospel? And what could, let's start praying for people. So that's the encouraging part that if we take 10 minutes of prayer and there's a few hundred people here, it's all multiplied. But church, we've got to pray. We, we have to be a house of prayer. And when it comes to this passage of scripture on occasion over the years, people will come here and go, I can't believe you guys. You guys are just like Jesus. If Jesus came here today, he'd drive you guys out because all you do is want to make a buck. That's all you want to do at Calvary Chapel. You want to make a buck. I mean, look, downstairs, you've got that coffee bar there and all you do is want to make a buck. And there you've got a bookstore and all you want to do is sell your wares. And, and I would just say this to anyone that has that kind of concern with us. First of all, the little coffee area and the bookstore makes no profit. At the end of the year, we close the books and any excess money that we have there goes right out to the missionaries every year. So there's no profit there. We're not profiting. Second of all, we've priced things pretty close to cost. So if there's any extra there, like for example, if you want to go get a coffee at Starbucks and bring it in, go ahead. I don't care where you get your coffee. It doesn't matter to me, but just know every Starbucks cup of coffee you buy, you support what Starbucks is into. And last time I checked, Starbucks is not into the gospel. That's all I, I don't know. If you guys have more information, I don't know. Maybe you can help me out. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. 
It's not about that, though. Like, we have a little, it's opportunity for people to serve, and it's a little cup of coffee, and you can enjoy it there, but you get your coffee anywhere. I even had someone email, I can't believe you guys took the free coffee away. Aren't you a church? You took the free coffee away. Slow your roll a little bit. The free coffee got moved because a brother in the church built us this really cool cart that's portable, so now it's around the corner. And we still have free coffee. If you want to go up and take a chair there and drink it right from under the thing, go ahead. I don't care. (laughs) The bookstore, first of all, anytime you buy a Bible in our bookstore, no markup whatsoever. What it costs us, what it costs you. Never a markup on the Word of God. The other books and the gifts, there's a little bit of a markup, but not much. And then again, all the proceeds go that, like, everything here is a ministry. From the bookstore to the radio station, it's a ministry. And we as leaders, we're here to serve you. You're not here to serve us. I mean, there are countless men and women here in our church family. A small amount of those men and women are on staff, and this is their full-time job, and a large amount of men and women have a full-time job somewhere else and serve here, but they serve our church sacrificially and loving. They, They love you. They love God, and they love you. And because they love God, they serve their hearts out. They feel, they, they sense the calling of God on their life. School teachers in our school or administrative support. They serve because they love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And we get to benefit from their sacrifice. And they serve at much great sacrifice. Many of you, I'm speaking to you because you're the one serving at great sacrifice of your own personal sacrifice, time, resources, whatever it might be. Why? Because you love God. We are not here to take from you. We're here to give. We're here to serve. You're not here to serve us. We're here to serve you. You're not here to wash our feet. We're here to wash your feet, to make sure that the path is clear for you to worship God. And we do so many things behind the scenes, so many things that you would never know about, so many prayers, so many things that that you, you would never know, nor do we want you to know, that are done in the name of Jesus Christ. See, our city, we were put in this city to serve this city. The city's not supposed to serve us. We're supposed to serve our community. We're here to make our community better in Jesus' name. We're here to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here to love God and love our neighbor. The city's not here for us. We're here for the city. God planted our church here. We're not a big church. We're not the only church, but we are our church, and we're here for this city. The city's not here for us. We're here to serve and to love and to give and to be generous. And, and, and God has even let us be in parts of things in our lives. God has allowed us to be a part of things in our lives so that even when you're asleep at 3 a.m. in the morning, God has allowed our church and entrusted all the resources of, of, uh, that was needed to buy two radio stations, not one, but two, so that when you're asleep at 3 a.m. in the morning, you are still serving this city while you're sleeping. If you work overnight, you go, wait a minute, I'm awake at 3 a.m. Okay, when you're serving at 3 p.m., We're still serving this city. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going out on the airwaves through your church, this church. A little room in the other room here. This is your church. We we have all this internet technology that also 24 hours a day, even when we sleep, God does not slumber. And we get to be a very small part of that. And the things that are going on in this church, they're, they're for the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know if Jesus showed up to here today, I'm sure he would drive some things out. I mean, we're not perfect. We'd probably be shocked at things Jesus sees that we don't see yet. 
And I would invite Jesus to come and say, show us, Lord, because we want to be closer to you. We don't want to run away from you. If we're making mistakes, God, reveal it to us by your spirit. We want to be more usable, not less usable. We want to be more, making more inroads in our community, not less. So I don't think we could say if Jesus came, oh, you guys are perfect and we won't drive out the money changers or the lack of prayer. I'm sure he will. I'm sure there are people among us that would love to take advantage of you. I'm sure there are things that I'm sure, but we just don't know about it yet. And we just pray against it that we would be a community of love, of God's agape love, that we wouldn't be taking advantage of one another. But think of it this way, and I want to leave you with this thought. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus came to your temple, what would he drive out? I mean, be open to the Lord this week. Palm Sunday ends up with Jesus driving money changers out of the temple. That's a pretty profound thought. Hosanna, Hosanna, oh, the king is here. Yeah, the king is here. And there are things in your life that don't belong. And as we pray and we fast and we seek the Lord, he will reveal that to us. So leave here with that thought. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, church. And if Jesus was to come into your life, what would he drive out? It's a profound thing to be praying for this week. So God, we just pray now that you would speak to us as we leave, minister to our hearts. There was a lot of agreement today, a lot of, Lord, uh, just a lot of amens, and, and may it be so. Uh, some of what I'm sharing today, you're working out in our lives. We're not, we're not where we need to be, Lord. We haven't arrived. There's so much maturity still needed in our lives, so much to be laid aside, so much to be dealt with, so much to, to account for as we stand at the Bema seat of Christ and you examine our lives and some things are going to be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble, and some things are going to be like precious jewels and, and gold and silver and, and it's going to be refined and, and we're going to have these crowns of reward that we're going to lay right back down at your feet. So purify our hearts, Lord, and our motives. Make us more usable, not less. Make us more helpful to the city, not less. God, cause us to be more in tune with your spirit, not less. Protect us in the battle. Jesus went around teaching, and then the Pharisees were coming against him. So every time we make a progress, every time we go forward, there's always resistance. There's always a pushback. But I'm grateful that you lead us to victory, that we fight from victory, not for victory. Your word says that you always lead us in triumph, that we are more than conquerors by faith in you, Lord. So let us walk out of here stronger and whatever you need to shake out in our church and whatever you need to shake out in our lives. It's your church and our lives belong to you. So do what you will with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.